Welcome to the It Is Better To Know podcast. This is Anne. I'm Valerie. And I'm Cecilia. This is a podcast where we use our expertise as pharmacists to break down relevant health topics and make them easier for you to understand. Now let's get started. You got me curious. Hey, BTK Army, I hope you're all doing well. I'm Valerie, and today we have the Pack-A-Punch Dynamite co-host, Cecilia. Hi, 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 everyone. So for today's episode, it's just going to be the two of us, so Valerie and I, because our third co-host, Anne, she's going to be busy for the next month or so. But never fear, Valerian Root Valerie and Ceylon T. Cecilia shall still deliver another episode for you today. That's right. I just want to say, like, how are we into June already? Where did the time go? I don't know. We always ask ourselves that like almost every single day though, don't we? <laughs> we do. Like I, don't, I have a, lot, a long list of things I want to do, yeah. right? <laughs> and, and I always have this long list of things to do. And I, I feel like I've made progress in some areas, but nowhere near like where I want to be. But that seems to be just, I say the same things every time to you. <laughs> I Well, I, I have that same feeling because I always have a to-do list. Like, even this weekend, I was like, oh, I'm going to do so much. And now it's already Sunday. And I'm like, no, I didn't do any of that. All right, next weekend. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> I know. It's just like constant pushing of the things that Priorities. we actually need to do. Mm-hmm. You know what, though? Like some these days, though, we since we're still in the pandemic, we still have to think. I th- always think back to our episodes four and five about worry less and live more just prioritize what you have to do and um, the rest can wait that's right yeah I don't know if I'm just enabling us (laughs) well it's okay I think I'm already enabled (laughs) by myself (laughs) right but it's part of our mental mental health and wellness right it's just uh, to to practice self-love and self-compassion yeah a lot Uh, of the times I think I don't do the things on my to-do list because I spend a lot of time catching up on sleep but you know what like we talked about in previous episodes including four and five and also a bunch of other episodes sleep is very important so I have to reassure myself that that's that's also a priority yeah you and I both took a nap this morning like not together like in our <laughs> together <respective> homes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um someone else or my sister was saying sleep is sleep is uh she said she made a remark about like how um not quite sleep is for the week, but you know, just basically it's kind of a somewhat of a waste of time if you let it go on for too much. But I was like, uh uh-uh, <gasps> no. my body needs it. <laughs> yeah. That's your body telling you that you have a sleep deficit. <laughs> yes. And I think we do have that because I try, I don't know, I stay up late on weekdays a lot. So Mm -hmm. I definitely have a sleep debt by the weekend. I know it's not good. Yeah, well, we're just claiming back that that time that we need for ourselves. The time we deserve. (laughs) (laughs) But you know also what else is crazy? In Alberta, on June 1st, we received word that we're going to begin second dose vaccinations. That's so exciting. Oh my gosh, I know. It feels like uh, Christmas came early, right? I, mean, I was mm-hmm. really excited for, for the d- announcement and I was really excited about that. So, you know, for people who haven't heard about the announcement, if you're vaccinated in March or earlier, you can start booking your vac- second dose vaccinations right away. So anytime. So make sure you check out the AHS website if you're um, uh, wanting to get uh, your si- your vaccination done at one of those, or you can call or book online at a pharmacy. And if you got your shot in April, that's you and I, Valerie, we can start booking June 14. And if mm-hmm. you got your, 
Yeah. And if you got your shot in May, you can start booking June 28th. So that's really exciting. Definitely a concerted effort. Vaccine supply issues, cancellations, no shows. All of these were, you know, kind of uh, they were they were big issues that both sure the are. public health immunizations and the pharmacies were experiencing. But we we made it through somehow. Mm-hmm. I, I just kind of wonder what kind of summer we're actually going to have at the end of the day. I'm actually kind of scared because in Alberta, I don't I don't know, like we have the oh, yeah, like, we're gonna open for summer. But it kind of makes me scared, because I'm not sure, you know, like, exactly what that means, if we're gonna have a fourth wave. But, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see and, you know, see what the restrictions are like. And, and um, you know, everyone just remember, abide by the public health guidelines. So, and if you haven't already, make sure you book your second dose. And if you haven't even booked your first dose yet, make sure you do get vaccinated to help flatten the curve. That actually segues into what we'll talk about today. So today's topic, we're going to discuss post-acute COVID-19 syndrome. So that's abbreviated with PACS, PACS. So the goal is to not catch COVID, right? But ultimately, some of us will catch this virus. Many recover, but many of us actually have symptoms persisting for more than four weeks after diagnosis of the COVID-19 virus. So in the media, you might hear this being called long COVID-19 or the long haulers. And what is this exactly? So in our body, it'll affect a lot of different um, parts of our bodies. Some patients, they might experience some headache, hearing loss, vision changes, loss of smell or taste. Psychiatric speaking, we can potentially experience depression or anxiety, memory, concentration, or sleep problems. When it comes to our heart and lungs, some of us might experience shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, cough, chest pain, faster pounding heartbeat, dizziness when you stand. When it comes to our muscles and body, some of us might experience joint pain, impaired mobility, numbness in our extremities, tremors, and in general, fever and fatigue. And this fatigue might actually worsen after physical or mental activities. And guess what? I will just come out with it. I actually did contract or um, get COVID uh, back in December, and I'm still experiencing some of these issues. So I am sort of a mini hauler, I guess you would say. Oh, a mini hauler. Well, Valerie, I'm glad you recovered from COVID. That sounds like a really scary experience. Which symptoms are you still experiencing these days? I would say, actually, it was fairly bad in terms of the shortness of breath um, or difficulty breathing. Even going up the stairs, it was um, a pretty arduous task. And luckily, I never had to really use Ventolin, um, but I did have a prescription for it. Oh, did you fill it? I think it probably would have helped. Yeah, but I really had to postpone my exercising. So I didn't exercise for three months after because when Mm -hmm. I tried, it was was very difficult. For sure. And and when... When I was doing um, looking up into these long hauler symptoms, something that hasn't been really reported, but that I do experience is actually this like foreign lump sensation in my throat. So it almost oh, feels like there's just this perpetual phlegm that needs to come out. And when I clear it, it still doesn't, it usually doesn't provide relief or it provides temporary relief before it comes back again. Oh, interesting. But do you actually ever like cough any phlegm up or like have you ever yeah, seen any? Yeah, I do. Well, oh, I th- okay. it's not yeah. that I cough it 
up. Yeah. It's not that I have the compulsion to cough. It's more yeah. so I feel that I need to clear my throat because I feel like there's something there. So then I will produce the phlegm by just basically like suctioning it out with my okay. with my mouth. So, but my shortness of breath is is definitely getting better and uh, much Good. better. I'm able to yeah exercise yeah. the same way that I was before for the most part. Um, I had a lot of fatigue and um, right just uh, tiredness though for maybe up to like the end of May but it seems to be getting oh my better gosh. now so that's I'm so just, long I know yeah. yeah so I'm telling you that that's kind of partly why I had uh, lab work done to test out my my iron and my thyroid oh, right. just to see if that might be something contributing but that was actually all normal you talked about so. that in our biotin episode I remember now Mm-hmm. We did. Oh, good. Yes. yes. So there's no labor abnormalities that you found mm-hmm. or that they found that contributes mm-hmm. to hair loss. Good. Good. And also nothing wrong um, post-COVID. So that's really good. Yeah. Did I tell you my hair loss uh, seemed to have uh, stabilized as well? Maybe about like shortly after I had my lab work done or shortly before. So <laughs> I don't know better. if it was just seasonal. <laughs> Yeah, because seasonal hair loss. Interesting. Well, I mm-hmm. think that you because your hair's natural um, cycle is such that uh, it hangs on to it, but then a lot of it goes at once when it's ready to shed. So okay, there could have been yeah. that, that, but then there's also the potential that you know when I was clearing the COVID virus, uh, my sister looked into this that uh, your body is undergoing or underwent a lot of stress. So then That's, it just kind yeah. of started to yeah shed That's the fair, shed yeah. the hair. Mm, interesting. It's all linking back now. Ah. <laughs> very good to know yeah I, I i think um the ones that i like the symptoms that i hear about the most are the fatigue for sure a lot of patients um have who have recovered from covid have told me that they experienced that and also the loss of smell or taste so i think those are the ones i hear about the most the most commonly anyways definitely and uh sh- like I kind of mentioned, because I I experienced it myself, shortness of breath is another very commonly reported post COVID nineteen symptom. Do we actually know though just how prevalent long COVID nineteen is in the population that recovered from COVID nineteen? Yeah, so I, I did find some um, statistics. So when it comes to lungs, about fifty six percent of patients with COVID have residual chest abnormalities that are shown on a CT scan. And 44% of patients are reported to have residual pulmonary function test abnormalities at three months after their first symptom onset or three months after hospital discharge. So just to just to explain that a little bit, so pulmonary function tests are non-invasive tests, and they show how well your lungs are working. So they test things like lung volume, the lung capacity, and rates of flow and gas exchange. I also did see that 51% of patients hospitalized with COVID reported symptoms uh, four months after discharge from hospital or intensive care. And about 30% of patients with COVID report symptoms um, at uh, the three or three to nine months uh, range after infection onset. So that's that's quite a long time. Gee golly, yeah, three to nine months. Mm-hmm. And that's like one in three people who caught COVID-19 th- from the stats that you gave or one in two people who who were hospitalized or go to the ICU will go on developing long COVID-19 after catching the virus. And it seems like persistent lung issues seem to be a common theme here. Yeah, it definitely is. And it's also reported that those discharged from the hospital actually experience symptoms at, at six months. So we're talking about symptoms like fatigue or muscle weakness, problems sleeping, and mental health issues like anxiety or depression. 
In some more severe cases, patients walked um, shorter distances on on a, the six minute walking test as well. Sheesh! But let's temper these statistics a little bit, though. The vast majority of patients who catch COVID nineteen don't require hospitalization, and most patients will clear their symptoms fully after a few weeks. Taken as a whole, twenty five to thirty percent of patients who catch COVID nineteen may experience long COVID nineteen. Yeah, so that's that's true. So about like a quarter to uh, just slightly under a third. So I did see on Health Canada's website that they list so far there's been a total about one million three hundred eighty five thousand two hundred seventy eight cases. So let's let's round that to about one point three nine million cases. And Health Canada knows the hospitalization hospitalization status for about nine hundred fifty thousand of those cases. So 71,000 cases were hospitalized, which is about 7.5% of patients. Okay, so said another way, roughly speaking, in a group of 100 people, 92.5 people will not require hospitalization. So we're just giving these numbers out to put into perspective the proportion of long haulers that you'd see in the public. You're more likely to experience long COVID-19 if you have been hospitalized, but it's also fairly common to experience some form of long COVID symptoms, even if you managed at home. Okay, and I wanted to share a couple of other interesting pieces that I found about complications that could result after catching COVID-19. Can I? Yes. Be my guest. Be my guest. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. That's one of my favorite Disney songs ever. (laughs) So the diagnosis of COVID-19 appears to be associated with increased risk of clinical sequelae needing medical care compared to diagnosis of other viral lower respiratory tract illnesses. And this learning rainbow moment, I love the word sequelae. It means a condition which is the consequence of a previous disease or injury. Sequelae. So it's spelled S-E-Q-U-E-L-A-E. I love it. Word of the day. So I think we're really shouting out into other shows and establishments, hey? So first we had Jeopardy, and then, uh, you know, I made you guys play Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? And now we have a spelling bee. I actually really (laughs) like spelling. (laughs) Spelling bees. I'm such a nerd. Um, anyways, but I, so just uh, expanding on some of the things I saw. So did you know that in England, there were some observational studies that found that the hospitalization for COVID is associated with increased risk of death, new onset respiratory disease, diabetes, major adverse cardiovascular events, chronic kidney disease, and chronic liver disease up to 140 days compared to the general population without COVID? When I heard about that, maybe not that specific about England, it frightened me. And maybe we don't have all the information about how severe or how many are affected yet since the pandemic is still just from 2020 and it's still going on. Time can really only tell. But at least for the first 140 days that the English studies found seems to be a watchful time for COVID-19 recovery people who recovered from COVID-19. This is even more reason why more people should get their COVID-19 vaccinations. You don't want to play Russian roulette with your body's long-term health by gambling the chance of catching the virus by choosing to not vaccinate or relying on others to get their vaccination so you could benefit from that herd immunity effect. Yeah, you know what I also read? Uh, some patients who have to be admitted to the ICU, so to the intensive care unit, they might experience post-intensive care syndrome. And this applies to any patient who may be admitted to ICU for any reason, not just COVID. 
Oh, I can imagine what some of those symptoms are. Definitely the psychological aspect of it, like post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and anxiety. Mood disorders are part of that post-acute COVID syndrome packs that we were talking about as well. So simply surviving that whole ordeal and having come out of using mechanical ventilators and where you are on the verge of life and death, that's a terrifying experience. Absolutely. You know, when when we have um, people who do talk about like their ICU experiences, it's definitely like, you know, it's, it's a, it's quite an experience that they go through. So yeah, and there's also, you know, the physical dysfunction, um, which might include neuropathy. So that's things like tingling or pain or numbness, you know, a burning sensation, usually in your, your limbs, hands and your feet. You can also experience muscle pain, muscle weakness or muscle atrophy. And there's also cognitive dysfunction. So that would include symptoms like impaired memory, executive function. Um, so, you know, that's like using higher level mental skills that we use to learn, work, follow directions, manage emotions, make decisions, etc. Or, you know, problems with communication. Uh, these psychological, physical and cognitive impairments are also observed in PACS. That's very true. And, you know, I don't mean to scare listeners if they do catch COVID or have caught it in the past. So the research in COVID long haulers is still in, in its infancy stages. So there's there'll be a lot more data and a lot more um, conclusions that can be drawn that will come later. And many people do co- recover completely without any issues. So in other words, they don't become long haulers. Yeah, I'd agree with you on that, Cecilia. Many ha- long haulers will have varying degrees of symptoms. And sometimes the symptoms resolve on their own after different amounts of time. Really, I'm giving vague answers because we just simply don't know yet. And everyone seems to have varying severities and duration of symptoms. I think that's just the theme of COVID. You know, we just don't know yet just because everything's so new, right? So such an interesting Mm -hmm. um, thing to talk about. And I think this is a good place, actually, where we can jump into talking about the different organ damage that can be caused by COVID, which might explain some of the symptoms that are seen in the post-acute COVID-19 syndrome. Again, keep in mind that research in this area is still in its early stages. So, you know, we don't really know the full long-term effects after clearing the virus. Sure. So let's start with the organ that everyone knows is affected, the lungs. There's a type of pneumonia associated with COVID-19, which can cause long-term damage to the tiny air sacs in the lungs called alveoli. The resulting scar tissue can lead to long-term breathing problems and therefore affect your level of physical activity. All right, so let's talk about another major organ, so the heart. Imaging tests taken months after recovery have shown lasting damage to the heart muscle. It even appeared in those who only had mild COVID-19 symptoms. This may increase the risk of heart complications in the future. Son of a gun. I really hate this virus. It just seems to be getting worse and worse. It just (laughs) Uh wreaks havoc in, in such horrible ways in the body. So let's talk about the brain next. Even in young people, strokes, seizures... Guillain-Barre syndrome, so that's a condition that causes temporary paralysis from the leg upwards, have been observed after infection. Yeah, and blood clots um, and blood vessel problems have also been seen to occur. So COVID-19 makes the blood cells more likely to clump and form clots. So larger clots can cause heart attacks and strokes, but most of the heart damage from the virus is believed to be caused by blockage of the tiny blood vessels, and those are known as capillaries, in the heart muscle. So really, these blood clots, you know, they can happen anywhere, though. That's why they're called deep vein thrombosis if it happens in places like the legs or the arms, or they're called pulmonary. 
emboli if they're found in the lungs. The virus can also weaken the blood vessels, making them leakier. And these two reasons, the blood clots and the blood vessel problems, may potentially explain why some patients go on to develop liver and kidney issues. You know how we mentioned extreme fatigue and worsens symptoms after physical or mental activity and does not improve with rest? Well, that's called chronic fatigue syndrome, which is also known as myalgic encephalomyelitis. It's possible that this might become a staple for COVID-19 long haulers. Fatigue definitely is problematic and impairs daily functioning. Well, actually, about 600,000 Canadians and approximately 2.5 million Americans experience this condition right now. So let's abbreviate it to ME you know, slash CFS. The number is expected to rise because of COVID-19. It's a very debilitating multi-system neurological disease believed to be triggered by infectious illnesses in the majority of the cases. So viral infections like the flu or mono caused by the Epstein-Barr virus or bacterial infections such as Lyme disease are known to trigger it. You're right about that. We also know from past studies on other coronaviruses, such as that Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, or MERS, and Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, so SARS, that uh, ME slash CFS can result afterwards. It's a logical connection then that SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19, can also cause ME slash CFS. We know the syndrome includes symptoms of persistent and recurring fatigue, headaches, muscle and joint pain, sleep dysfunction, and cognitive impairment. According to the Canadian Institutes of Health Research, it might also be associated with neurological symptoms, feeling dizzy because of low blood pressure when being upright, inflammatory bowel syndrome and our heart problems, temperature dysregulations, immune system changes, and light and sound sensitivity. Well, just from hearing that, sounds like it fits a lot of the bill from what we currently know about the COVID-19 long hauler symptoms. And um, ME or CFS appears to be more common in women and people in their 30s to 50s. The number one hallmark that separates this from other illnesses is something called post-exertional malaise. That is, even doing minimal mental or physical activity will result in fatigue that lasts for hours or several days even. The scary thing is there's no cure for it either. So treatments such as medications or, you know, pacing activities, psychotherapies and specialized exercise can really vary and they may or may not help the patients. Some seem to just recover on their own while others, unfortunately, live with it for the rest of their lives. Can you imagine if you had to parent or be a caregiver to a family member, you know, where you have to like handle their money, like everything easily can become overwhelming. For sure. And there's also the brain fog that you hear some patients complaining about. That's like a change in cognitive function where you can't perform daily tasks or make the same sharp decisions that you're able to before being infected with COVID. Yeah, that could be viewed as part of that cognitive fatigue that makes it difficult to maintain attention and focus. It really varies too, doesn't it? Like one person might just feel a little bit off, but others might describe difficulty with simple things like even sending an email. I'll I'll put this into perspective for you from an article that I read. So Dr. Maddie Hornig is a physician scientist and associate professor of epidemiology at the Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health in New York City. She actually developed a tickle in her throat 
which then evolved into COVID-19 toes, where her feet became so swollen, at one point she couldn't even wear shoes. She had a 12-day fever and also developed swollen lymph nodes, rapid heart rate, and crisis-level hypertension, so high blood pressure. And it also threw off her thyroid hormone levels, increased her cholesterol levels, and caused some anemia. Holy smoke, she got really Everything. bad case. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a fairly extreme case. And lots of patients usually have those mild symptoms. And um, some of the things that you were just listing there, I didn't even know about like this COVID-19 swollen toes. Mm-hmm. So many wacky things happened to her because of that virus. Right? Well, so she can still, you know, put in a full work day, but it doesn't match her level of function before she got infected with COVID. In her world, she described her energy level as if someone had pulled out a plug on an electrical device with no battery backup. So it just felt like everything goes at once. Jeez, it's hard to live that way. But good on her for pushing through that fatigue. But it's best to take frequent breaks then and take things slowly until you can gradually build your activity level back up. Be kind to yourself. I agree. The sad thing is, though, we're still in the pandemic. So the financial stress or the stress of constantly having to rearrange child rearing plans or having to grab groceries for a friend or family member who has to isolate themselves because of COVID related reasons, those unfortunately aren't going away anytime too soon. So if you have recovered from COVID, the stressors that come with the pandemic still can worsen your mood. Grim. Just very grim. (laughs) But let's switch gears a little bit and talk about what we can do to help with COVID-19 long haulers, shall we? Of course. You know, I'm all about wellness. So experts say that adequate sleep and exercise are probably your best bet at helping your body get over long-term COVID-19 symptoms. I'm going to emphasize one point here. Try to get adequate sleep and exercise as much as your body allows. This means you shouldn't push yourself to train for marathons again right after you've recovered. So, you know, what Valerie was doing, resting and just allowing herself to recover, that's exactly what you should be doing. Ain't no shame in that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Get that sleep and exercise. (laughs) Shortness of breath is one of the most common long hauler symptoms. And for some COVID-19 recoveries, you don't even have to be exercising to experience that shortness of breath. And even going up the stairs, like for me, it was an issue. I can imagine that. I get out of breath when I go upstairs and that's not even because of uh, COVID. So (laughs) yeah, but returning to exercise, you know, that's definitely an issue. So make sure you start slow. You know, there's actually some apps on the phone that you can download to chart physical activity so that you can get an idea of your progress and what you're capable of doing. And uh, to your point, Cecilia, I think taking things slow resonates with me because even if you track your activity in an app, try not to let that overshadow what you've actually were able to do in the past. Like resting is part of that road to recovery, isn't it? So Uh, Even if that means putting a pause on exercising or modifying your goals or readjusting them to be smaller goals, like that's a win too. It is. Needless to say, if you're feeling short of breath, please make sure you talk to your doctor or your pharmacist about that if you haven't already. You might benefit from some prescription medications like a fast-acting inhaler that'll help open up your airways when you feel short of breath. And if you're feeling short of breath at rest, though, so that's like even if you're just sitting and not doing anything and you're still feeling difficulty breathing, that's especially something concerning that you need to talk to your doctor about. Yes, definitely talk to your doctor about shortness of breath at rest. That needs to be investigated further. 
You know, a couple of suggestions shared by Dr. Hornig for easing yourself back into exercising are things like yoga or modified floor exercises that don't strain your energy and strength all at once. Plus, things like yoga or the modified floor exercises allows you to focus on controlling your breathing. And going back to Dr. Hornig again, she recommends considering your body as its own guide. So she says that if you're feeling exhausted, then figure out how much sleep that you're actually getting. This might need to be explored further with your local pharmacist or family doctor. But generally speaking, if you're affected by this, try to implement good sleep hygiene. We touch a little bit about this in our melatonin episode and check that episode out if you also want to hear the details on how much melatonin you need to use for what kind of sleep and how effective it is. In short, sleep hygiene includes things like avoiding exercising, smoking, caffeine before bed and avoiding stimulating activities like gaming or watching TV before bed. Uh, Other things include like using your bedroom for uh, intimacy and sleep. Rituals like journaling or meditating prior to bed can can also help. And so those are all tricks to use for, for good, proper sleep hygiene. I also wanted to bring forth the point that there's so many apps these days that can also help with meditation and sleep. You can Google a whole bunch and see what the ratings are like and download like the most highly rated apps. But anyways, you know, why, why is sleep so important? But we just, we kind of briefly mentioned this already, but Um, sleep is vital for just your overall health. When you sleep, your brain is still running scripts in your brain for maintenance and proper functioning. If you're not getting enough quality sleep, you potentially interrupt your body's natural way of rebuilding itself to prepare for the next round of stressors. And when your body is stressed, your ability to fight infection is reduced as well. You know, one common um, long COVID symptom that would be super annoying to experience? Which one? Loss of taste and smell. That's a huge part of the human experience. And to lose both so suddenly is a nightmare. They say that up to 80% of COVID patients experience some degree of loss of taste or smell. Oh my gosh, I didn't know it was that high. 80%. That's, that's crazy. I can't imagine what that would be like. I, you know, when, even when you lose your sense of smell, you lose your appetite because that's a huge component of just some, um, you know, like hunger and the eating experience and to lose both of them. Wow. That that's really, um, and you and I both love to eat. We so do that love would be... food. So, you know, <laughs> huh, wow. Sad. <laughs> it would be really sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just being tired, short of breath, losing your taste and smell. Horrible. Oh, we really, so Oh, sad. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you, you don't necessarily have to get all those symptoms at once, but that's what <laughs> I'm thinking of right now. So everyone just make sure we do our part, get vaccinated so we can get rid of this horrible virus once and for all. Yeah. I, I did hear that, you know, some people might lose their sense of taste and smell only for a couple of weeks. And I think that's probably tolerable, but I have heard of some patients who don't recover after being surveyed and that was at six months after the infection. So can you imagine not being able to smell or taste anything or like having a dim- diminished um, capacity of both for six months? That's way too long, way too long. It's like I said, just really sad. Yeah. And um, another point about this loss of taste or smell is that the initial loss of smell is thought to be due to the coronavirus infecting those no cells that support olfactory nerves, which are the nerves in charge of our sense of smell. So these cells swell up because of the virus. And it's it's hypothesized that perhaps the inflammation caused by 
this swelling it actually ends up damaging the olfactory nerves. Yeah, for most people, the sense of smell does come back, thank goodness. So olfactory function returns. But for some people, the smell, when it does come back, is distorted. Do we know what can be used to prevent this or make it better? Well, in terms of treatment, Dr. Piccarillo, which is, who's an ear, eyes, and nose specialist at the Washington University School of Medicine, they say, he says that both oral steroids and steroid nose sprays can and should be used early on. Didn't he mention something called olfactory training as well? Yeah, he did. So for those people who are experiencing long-term loss of smell and taste, the olfactory training is designed to train the nose to smell again. So you smell four different types of oils twice a day for up to 12 weeks. So those would include scents, so things like roses, eucalyptus, lemons, and cloves. Mm, those are such calming and nice scents. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, I suppose. I suppose you are training or retraining your brain to recognize the smell in this case. Yeah, and Dr. Ficarillo states that olfactory training is already commonly used to treat anosmia, which is loss of smell, and hyposmia or parosmia, which is distorted smell. So fascinating. We're essentially using our brain's neuroplasticity then to rewire our neural connection so that it'll hopefully reset us back to those normal settings that we had pre-infection. It'll be interesting to know how effective it is. For sure. So, ladies and gentlemen, here is the bottom line for today. This condition wears different names. Post-acute COVID-19 syndrome, long COVID-19, long hauler. It all means the same thing. Persistent symptoms four weeks after illness diagnosis. Long haulers affect about 25 to 30% of COVID patients. There are many symptoms, and some of the common symptoms include headaches, loss of smell or taste, depression or anxiety, memory, concentration, or sleeping problems, shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, cough, dizziness, joint pain, fatigue and worsened symptoms after physical or mental activities, which may lead to that ME slash CFS. It remains unknown how long these various symptoms will last. There may still be other symptoms or clinical sequelae that have yet to be identified. Medical professionals are still assessing the effects and best treatments for people with long-haul COVID-19 symptoms. They recommend people with long-term effects to try to get adequate sleep and exercise as much as their body would allow. They note there are clinics opening across the USA that focus on people with long-haul COVID-19 symptoms. There aren't as many focused clinics here in Canada yet anyways, so this is an area for further research and development. On that last note, in Canada, so far, I, found, I did find a Facebook group that's called the COVID Long Hauler Support Group Canada. It was launched on Facebook in June of last year and has more than 12,000 members. So this group um, provides some support that long haulers haven't been able to get from healthcare providers. And to explain that a little further, the issue is that some of the major symptoms that long haulers get, such as the reduced stamina and exercise tolerance, could be caused by so many other things. And the symptoms presented by long haulers are multifactorial, and they may include um, enlisting the help of other health disciplines. So that, that in turn makes it very time consuming and often involves out-of-pocket costs. So for example, if we involve physiotherapy, they could help with some of the muscle pain and also some of the muscle weakness as well. Well, one of the things that I actually um, came across was uh, there is a 
uh, clinician scientist named Dr. Angela uh, Chung at the University Health Network. And she is co-leading this investigation to study uh, the one-year outcomes of COVID-19 patients. So this study is called the Canadian COVID-19 Prospective Cohort Study and abbreviated as CANCOV. The study is basically only funded enough to track 2,000 participants across six provinces. So this kind of begs the question, as you were uh, kind of mentioning about um, all of these specialty COVID symptoms for long haulers, that it's it's definitely an area that needs to be uh, explored some more. And there needs to be more uh, funding that we inject to to help these patients to to recover from from this illness because it is definitely multifactorial. They, For sure. The article that I was reading also mentioned something about uh, Canada being uh, sort of lagging behind compared to other countries when it comes to setting up those government-funded, specialized, long-haul COVID-19 clinics. So they said, for example, just in December, the UK announced it will invest £10 million. So that's about $17.3 million Canadian dollars to open up more than 60 specialized clinics across the country. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is pretty cool. So because there are more Canadians suffering from long COVID um, than the study can accommodate, Dr. Chung, you know, is also advocating for the government to increase awareness and inject some funding so that we can catch up to what other countries are doing for their COVID long haulers. Actually, that reminds me too. I saw a poster for COVID-19 recovery clinic that was posted by the Edmonton North Primary Care Network. So it's a team of primary care physicians and specialists to help long haulers experiencing symptoms 10 weeks or longer after receiving a positive test result. So you have to ask your family doctor to refer you to this though. That's really good. Yeah, I think that would be a definite... uh useful resource for a lot of these long haulers. And I also saw that uh, Alberta Health Services, or AHS, they have a really nice uh, page on their website about getting healthy after COVID-19. It has a lot of really useful resources and information about long long COVID-19 as well. Oh, really? I didn't know about that. What does it have? Yeah, I stumbled upon it the other day. It has uh, general recovery issues that touch on resources for specific health conditions, also has some support for rehabilitation, and also has a link to the management of post-acute COVID-19 in primary care. And that's a podcast that's posted by the British Medical Journal. And it also talks about some breathing and respiratory things like breathing exercises, managing changes to your thinking, attention, and memory, and managing eating, drinking, and swallowing. Yeah, so I'm just Googling this now. Oh, I also see it actually has some info about managing exercise and daily activities, managing your nutrition, managing stress, anxiety, and depression. Oh, and it also contains some information about prenatal or postnatal care for moms and moms-to-be. That's awesome. It really is. It's a goldmine of information. So we'll post um, the link for that in our episode description if it allows us. So uh, if you want to check that out for yourselves, VTK Army, you can check out the episode description and you'll be able to get to that website. All right. So that's a wrap for today, folks. Thanks for listening to us. And please share this episode with, with your friends and family if you found it useful. Are you personally suffering from long COVID or do you know someone who is? 
Share your experience with us on social media if you're comfortable. We love hearing from you guys and we can get the conversation going on this important topic. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at It Is Better To Know and our Twitter at Better To Know Pod. We'll see you next time. Stay curious, our beautiful friends. Well, that's the end of our segment. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Since this is a new podcast and we really want to expand our listeners, to help us do that, we would love for you to take a moment, head to where you listen to our show and hit subscribe. Thank you for helping us get the word out. We really appreciate it. Curious Music is performed by Bonsai Memo, written by Andrew Southwell and Jimmy Harry. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and should not be taken as medical advice. As every individual is unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. You got me through.